Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Welcome to another Common Grounds Unity Podcast. We are delighted to have you back with us for another conversation. We've got a great guest that we're going to introduce in just a couple of moments. want to Make a couple of announcements, though, before Tina and I get started. By the way, Tina, welcome. Good to have you. Uh, good to be together with you again today. How are things? And you're in Poland. So how are things in Poland and your work there? Yeah, I'm good. And it's raining here, so my internet connection is a little unstable, so hopefully I won't go out and in. <laughs> All right. Well, if uh, if Tina leaves the podcast, uh, we'll, she's not leaving upset in any way, shape, or form. No. But uh, we hope hope things hold up for you there. I want to make a couple of announcements before we introduce our guest today. We are moving back to weekly podcasts. Uh, seasons one and two were weekly, and then we kind of Woo-hoo! moved to, to bi-week. And that's ex- exciting news, right, Tina? And, uh, and so we're going to be back with you with the great guests uh, for the remainder of this season on a weekly basis. Be looking for fresh podcasts to drop each Friday. And we are, in addition to that, posting additional content on our new uh, Patreon channel. We invite you to subscribe to that. Uh, we we uh, have continued conversations with our guests in a, a segment that we call the Second Cup. And, and so Patreon subscribers uh, get to listen in to extended conversations with the interesting people that we uh, we talk to. There's videos, essays. There will be special events there and gatherings, and much more coming. So you can subscribe at patreon.com front slash common grounds unity. Again, that's patreon.com front slash common grounds unity. And if you would like in some way to serve with common grounds unity, if you're uh, somebody who really, really believes in the mission of what we're trying to accomplish and the vision of where we're trying to head. We need some volunteers to step up. Tina and I both, by the way, are volunteers in this podcast. Uh, This is not uh, what we do for a living. It is something we believe in and and really want to be a part of. So uh, if you'd like to volunteer, we need content creators, production and team managers, people that can support uh, our team to do audio and video editing and to do that, you can contact our producer, John Teal, and his contact information is in the show notes. So with all that said, we want to introduce our guest today. We have uh, Lois Taverberg with us, and uh, Lois is a fascinating author. Um, she, she grew up knowing the Bible. Uh, she did not start out writing uh, theologically, but she was in the field of biology. She earned a Ph.D., in biology, became a professor, and then as she was always intrigued with Bible study, she started uh, discovering certain insights that strengthened her Christian faith and decided to pursue a deeper study of Scripture, and particularly 
a study in its original setting, finding answers that had bothered her for years. The more she read about Jesus's first century world, the more fascinated she became. So she set out and learned Hebrew and Greek, started studying uh, in Israel, exploring recent scholarship on Jesus's first century Jewish world, and then ultimately left the world of academia to devote herself full-time to teaching and writing on the topic of uh, Jesus and scripture and its context in Judaism. So she's a best-selling author, uh, kind of you know, going back to some of her first writings. Uh, she has uh, produced five Hebrew words that every Christian should know, listening to the languages of the Bible, reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus, walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. So those are all books that you can go on Amazon and find uh, by Lois. In addition, she's got a great website, uh, OurRabbiJesus.com. And if you go to OurRabbiJesus.com, not only will you learn more about Lois, boy, there's a lot of great resources. So we encourage you to go to her website. Lois, welcome. I've said a lot there without letting you speak. Welcome to our podcast. We're so glad to have you. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be with you folks too. You know, just when I was listening to that introduction, you had such a different uh, trajectory than where you've ended up being uh having your PhD in molecular physiology and teaching human physiology and molecular biology. And now you're a best-selling author. T tell us how, like, how did that progress? Like how, how did you end up where you are? It's kind of surprising. Sure. Sure. I can help you with that. I guess you can see the, the common link is my nerdy love of study. And <laughs> I, I grew up in a, a Lutheran home, a pretty devout um, mainline Christian home. We had a lot of, I guess I'd say, academic interests. My dad was a, a hometown doctor, and then he became a psychiatrist. And um, my had sisters and brothers who went into all sorts of academic things. And so we like we were smart people who liked to study. Uh, and uh, we often we loved the sciences. So I. I went to college in the, and went into science. I, as I was in college, I was taking, you have to take New Testament, and I went to a Lutheran college, uh, and I was there in the middle of the 80s, and the middle of the 80s, well, even now, there are, there's quite a bit of, there are various voices in New Testament scholarship, and some of them are very skeptical that the New Testament was at all historical, and I happen to have a professor who is one of the, uh, I guess I'd say rabble rousers, or I don't know, I would say you know, it's not that I hadn't learned a lot of general Bible knowledge, and I wasn't, and I was that I was such a fundamentalist that I couldn't like, oh, don't ask any questions, but this guy was really, he, uh, he really was skeptical about everything. And uh, that really threw me for a loop. And he did actually talk about, you know, we need to appreciate the Jewishness of Jesus. And so I'm like, well, yeah, I guess so. But uh, but then the New Testament was late and it's not historical. And eh. oh, well, so 
honestly, that kind of threw me for a loop. And so, you know, I had been doing science, so I just kept doing science and uh, went into biology. And I was, uh, uh, I was teaching as a biology professor at a little college in Holland, Michigan, um, Hope College. And uh, when within a year or two of my moving there, I was finding churches. And one of the ones that I, I kind of was church hopping to was having the special speaker doing a series. And his name is Ray Vanderlaan. And I think some of your folks have heard about this guy who teaches about the Jewish cultural context of the Bible. And I happened to be, you know, visiting that church and I signed up for that series. And uh, within a week or two, I was absolutely hooked. And then alongside of my study of, you know, teaching biology, um, you know, every church that you join will say, how would you like to use your spiritual gifts to serve the Lord? And I said, oh, well, I like teaching classes. And so I started studying and writing little articles and teaching first at my church and then little articles. And then it grew into a ministry. Our area is very interested in this Michigan because of him and whatever. And so I would teach in churches and then um, I started writing and then it uh, I formed a little ministry with a friend who we would teach in churches. We would invite scholars and speakers. We took trips to Israel. And so I was gradually learning as I was teaching others. And I was interacting with scholars. So, And then I took Hebrew and Greek. There's my long answer, but that's how I got from there to here. So That's amazing. Yeah. Lois, I think, I think many of us had our interest peaked in you know, seeing Jesus in, in that historical context through Ray Vanderlyn's series that the world may know. I remember when those first came out, just eating those up and then wanting to share them with the church where I was. And here you've, you, you've helped people uh, to go deeper into that. You've written three just phenomenal books in the Rabbi Jesus series, the first of which you co-authored with Ann Spengler. Give us a little bit of an overview of the three books in the series and how they relate to each other. Okay. Well, the first thing everybody asked me is like, okay, are they all the same? I'm like, no. <laughs> and the next one, they say, what order shall I read them in? And my next, my answer is, you can read them in any order. You're not required to read them in one order. But the way I wrote them, and actually probably is more logical, is the first one with Anne was called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. And it was, it's about the, it's a general introduction to the Jewish culture around Jesus. So rabbis and disciples, the Passover and feasts and Jewish prayer and Torah and these things that you need to know this context to kind of understand a lot of what's going on. And, and it, boy, it just makes his words, world, words and teachings much, it puts them in a context that helps us understand. So the next book was called Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. And it talks, the reason why it's about walking in the dust is that's what disciples do. They walk, you know, Jesus tells his disciples, walk after me. Um, but that's, that was traditional as you walked in his dust and you followed him and learned his teachings and you applied them and you learned to be like your rabbi, not just to know his, what he knows, but to be able to do what he does. And so um, that book is about 
believe it or not, it, it pushes a little farther. It says, you know, there are some things Jesus said that make way more sense in his Jewish culture. And sometimes we don't even understand all of what he says if we don't know the Jewish stuff going on around him. That's walking in the dust. So, and then the last most recent book was called Reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus. I know I'm wearing out my motif there, my Rabbi Jesus motif. <laughs> Next book, we might not. One of my friends, they always say, okay, is it going to be like jumping in the Jordan with Rabbi Jesus? You don't know. <laughs> so, um, but this, uh, this most recent one is uh, what I would say is that it's about cultural ideas that separate us from Jesus's world um, that make it hard for modern Westerners to understand our Bibles. And so it's, it's all coming at the same question, but at from a different little different angle. And so that's how those books interact. There's, they kind of overlap, but kind of don't. So. Mm -hmm. In the beginning of sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus, Ray Vanderlaan gives high praise for your book. And he also wrote the foreword for your second book. Your writing opened the eyes of many to the value of understanding the Jewishness of Jesus and how that can be transformational in our faith. Can you help us understand a bit about what we've lost or forgotten as Western Christians and why regaining that is so important, especially in this season of the church? <laughs> well, at all times, it's important, but yeah, certainly. Um, as I uh, was saying, you know, you kind of need to know the other side of the conversation he's having in order to guess, to have a sense of what he is what he's probing at and how it is being perceived and what he's responding to. Obviously, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And we're like, what's that? Oh, well, they were talking about that back then. Boy, maybe it's a good idea to find out what everybody else is saying in order to understand how he is interacting and modifying and contradicting and make, and actually some things and uh, like, uh, he says, do not judge so that you, you know, that, that whole set of things that I was just, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you read the Jewish discussion going on and it's, it's brilliant. And then he piles on top of it and it's incredible. And so you need to have the rest of the conversation in order to get the whole point uh, of what he's trying to say. Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. We want to take a moment to thank Mission Alive and Central Christian College of the Bible for sponsoring this episode. Mission Alive equips leaders to start innovative communities of faith focused on transforming marginal communities. They provide church planning, training, apprenticeships, consulting, and discipleship cohorts, among other resources. They can also train you to be a nationally accredited coach through Catalyze Coach Training. This 28-week credential will equip you to impact and transform your church organization leadership and ministry. Learn how God can transform your life and ministry by going to missionalive.org. That's missionalive.org or emailing them at contact at missionalive.org. And Central Christian College of the Bible has low-cost, innovative, and flexible master's programs in ministry leadership and preaching that they want you to know about. These two-year programs are designed to be one-third online, one-third on campus, and one-third supervised ministry by an expert 
in your interest area. The mentoring courses can offer credit in your local ministry. Graduates like Dr. Don Mahardy and Jonathan Curtis are impacting the kingdom in deeper, more meaningful ways because of their education at CCCB. So find out more at cccb.edu front slash graduate. That's cccb.edu front slash graduate. You, you mentioned wearing out this Jesus's rabbi motif. I, I don't believe you can do that. You probably got a lot more you could write. <laughs> we'll and I hope you will. Yeah, we'll I hope you that. will. So, so good. In, in the same book, you have a chapter titled Why a Jewish Rabbi? And, and you discuss um, Torah study at different ages, Hebrew rabbis and their disciples and Jesus among the rabbis. How, how would a... Uh, a deeper understanding of Jewish education and culture hmm. call us to a more uh, transformational walk with okay. our rabbi Jesus? Yeah, sure. Good question. Obviously, you know, when we, when you, if you pick up a Bible with zero knowledge, as most of us have done and still are doing, Jesus seems to be like the Pied Piper. You know, he just, he walks past somebody and they get up and like zombies or something, just start walking after him. How, why on earth do they do that? Is it just his aura? You know, the fact that he has this glowing thing around his head, like he has in all of the paintings, or maybe <laughs> is it actually because there's an ongoing tradition already, even before his time where Jewish culture in the first century was already had an avid interest in understanding how to live out the Torah. These, the folks living in Israel at that time had returned within the past very few hundred years and they had faced persecution for being loyal to God and living out how he told them to live. And they were quite interested and they were avid students. They studied a lot. It was surprising how much they would have these debates and discussions and um, even in their spare time and for fun. And so, you know, you would have a synagogue uh, service where they didn't have a, a pastor, you know, somebody who is in charge. They would choose uh, a, a learned male man in the community who would read the text and then discuss it have uh, he would have so they they actually themselves had to have a very high level of knowledge and then they worked among each other so in the, and then some of those people some of those lay people who were avid would actually go and teach in other synagogues and so that's where rabbi started coming from and then disciples people figured out that you know if that one guy is brilliant if um, well, they already had an, an, and this is almost worldwide, this idea of apprenticeship. If you want to learn from someone, you walk around with them, you you help them, you you work for them. He, he kind of hires you, and you work for them. That's how everybody's done around the world. But so a, a disciple was like an apprentice rabbi. He walked everywhere. He helped him. He served him. And he was listening, and he, his ultimate intent was to go out and study and teach himself. And it's obvious. In that, in that same book. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the fact that, you know, at the end of 
Matthew, you know, Jesus gives the great commission to raise up many disciples. And so if that's our main big uh, goal in life, we better know what a disciple is. <laughs> and so it seems like it should be important to us. Yeah, in that same uh, vein, in, in the book on page 64, you write, I used to think that Jesus's command to make disciples simply meant teaching people from certain beliefs about God, helping them to accept Christ as Lord, and then educating them in doctrinal truths later on. Though all these are important, this way of defining discipleship showed that I, like many Westerners, approach the gospel primarily as information. Unfortunately, such an approach tends to produce efforts at evangelism that are thinly disguised power grabs. We try hard to foist our belief systems onto others, debating with people until they declare our way the best. That is really powerful. What what else would you say about that? Well, obviously, certainly there are things that we need to share about our beliefs, and that's important. But what's more critical is that we don't stop there and we see the gospel as only information and that our goal is to have correct mental theories (laughs) that, you know, even Satan has correct mental theories, you know, and people so... Um, but when you start understanding that discipleships were not only interested in uh, the knowledge of the, the rabbi, he was emulating him. He was imitating him and his, he, you know, and so when Jesus says, let's go eat with the, the tax collectors, I'm sure the disciples like, oh God, ooh. you know, but by walking with him into difficult situations and living there and then you know every day all the time they can sit and discuss why do we do things this way and how should we live differently and so you are trying jesus sets an example he washes the feet of his of his disciples it's an idea of you are trying to learn from him how to live a life that pleases god and that's the idea behind rabbis and disciples and brilliant. And it's much more about a transformed life. There is information definitely, but there is a life that is Christ-like and it is a life that is humbly curious to know how to love and please God in how we live. It's interesting too, that like, that's what draws people to Jesus is how he lived and who he was, not only the information about him. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. And it is, I should add in, I'm surprised that this was so not obvious to me until after I started reading and studying with Ray is that, you know, when people are talking about, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And I'm like, what is Christ? mean what does messiah mean and i thought it was going to be like suffering savior god no it means anointed and it it hints at king and the idea of king is like king what's up with that but then you look in the torah in deuteronomy it, it describes it has these strange regulations for kings that are totally not what you expect They say the king shall write a copy of the Torah for himself. 
which he shall carry with him and read every day. <laughs> and, um, and so you actually hear Jewish comments saying, you know, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be a great teacher because he, he will be passionate about loving and being God's the best example possible of how to live out God's word. And so Jesus actually, even as a rabbi, is doing exactly what he as Christ, God's anointed king, should be doing, is humbly being obedient and doing what the word says. I always read that and wondered how many of those Jewish kings, either northern (laughs) or southern, actually did that. Yeah. Yeah. How (laughs) far away did we even get? Yeah, exactly. That's the irony of it is you see how far away and you can see that the Torah is pushing back on the reality of the situation. You look at what God wants and you look at how far they didn't quite get there. So, yes, Mm -hmm. even with Josiah, it's like a book they don't even recognize. We've discovered this book. Yeah, right. They're in the temple. That's exactly it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, Lois, one of the chapters is titled "Get Yourself Some Havarim," mm-hmm. and I hope Havarim. I'm pronouncing that correctly. Havarim. Yeah. Havarim. Yep. Thank you for the correction there. Okay. You you write about loneliness and individualism in America, and you write about the value of community in our discipleship. So, what in the world is Havarim? And yeah. and could you talk about these ideas a little sure. bit? Sure. Well, the word Havarim is plural of Haver. And that means, in general, it just means friend. Get yourself a friend. But it actually refers to the way that um, in yeshivas, in Jewish schools, um, that people study, very surprisingly, you expect that they have these massive volumes of rabbinic knowledge that they're studying. And you think that you expect to walk into this silent library full of people with their heads in books and instead you walk in and this in this incredible sound of people men usually working in pairs it's called a havruta and they're arguing they're discussing a text and they're going back and forth and one is discussing a point and the other one is debating and they're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth like wow what an idea and it's and they would say things like, whenever two or three are studying, the Shekinah dwells among them. <laughs> and you think of Jesus saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. And you hear this insistence, you know, Jesus sends his disciples out in pairs. And honestly, our world I got to say, in the West, our wealth makes us so that we can be very separated from each other. Whereas even in Africa and China today, people do everything together. You go every, you always are together with your family of large community. Your houses are tight together and you always, and so, but you encounter God together. That's the idea behind Havarim. And you study together too. Mm -hmm. Real call to community. To doing this together with others. We don't yeah. go it alone. Yeah, right. And you include God too. Often when Christians yes. get together, they leave God out. You know, you have your little, I, I just joined a new study, uh, Bible study at my church. And it's easy to kind of like, oh, okay, we're going to do Bible study for a while. Now we just chit chat and you're not really kind of, it's fine to do that, but if it, I've been with groups where people kind of like, let's go watch the football game now. And then God just got left behind. There isn't, 
you there's much more in the Jewish community and ability to have fun within God's presence. That sounds crazy, but um, like at um, um, Purim, that's they that's in the March. They read the Book of Esther, and uh, they the kids will write plays where they do the story of Esther. And when Haman, when you hear you know Haman's the bad guy, well they have these little noisemakers, and so you have a great time. You have a fun party studying God's word. You're like what a great idea! <laughs> right. We we tend to compartmentalize. We we tend to in in I think Christian communities we've got our time now with God, our spiritual time. Yeah. And now let's move over here into the fun. Yeah. And and the real joy is in yeah. Yeah. experiencing yeah. the presence of God together and talking yeah. about Him. And yeah. Well, what a that's, great point. That's a it it actually another thing when people would come up to the you know you came up spent days traveling up to the feast in Jerusalem. You wonder, what did they do all the time through the week that they were up there? They were listening to rabbis and having interesting discussions. And then they would, then God says, save up a tenth of your money, buy the best tasty foods you want. It says beer and wine and whatever foods are your favorites. And so you have a great, wonderful time with your family and you discuss Bible stuff. What a great idea. Oh, love it. In chapter 12, Jesus and the Torah you're right. The Sermon on the Mount was not a revolution against the Torah, but a revolution in understanding how to live out the Torah. How might you have responded sitting on that ancient hillside? Perhaps you would have felt both challenged and thrilled by what you heard, realizing that Jesus was probing the Torah even more deeply than the great Hillel. This rabbi seemed to have a remarkable grasp of the heart and mind of God. Furthermore, he was not exhorting you to become stricter than the strictest, but the model of your life on the character of God himself by living in a way that reflected his extravagant goodness. It seems like in a lot of our Western Christianity, we miss the heart and mind of God by focusing on like rules or getting it right and excluding those who don't raise to the level of our rightness. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you can you talk a little bit more about the idea of a revolution and understanding how to live out the Torah? Okay, sure. I have to say as a Lutheran, <laughs> I, I, this was probably the biggest leap for me. And when I originally wrote that chapter, my grandfather was a missionary, a Lutheran missionary in Madagascar. And I felt like my Lutheran grandfather was turning over in the grave when I was writing the chapter called Jesus and the Torah. <laughs> when <laughs> What? He didn't abolish the Torah? And then they said, well, we fulfilled them. And then, which we secretly go, means he abolished them. And so, but, uh, and I do, first of, I do explain that first off, just because that's always like, what? Well, part of what is going on, and one thing Christians are kind of so clueless about is there's a difference between Jews and Gentiles and that Gentiles, Jesus really was speaking to an audience that was Jewish. There were pretty much almost no one there was Gentile and maybe the centurion was hanging around, but not a lot of people. And it was Paul who was speaking to Gentiles and the Gentiles were not expected to take on you know that was in acts 15 there was this discussion about what do gentiles who become believers need to do just 
do some of the minimums and keep studying. And so when people say, what are we supposed to study and learn Torah? I'm like, remember, most of us are Gentiles and that hasn't been our covenant, but yet there's a lot of wisdom in it that we can learn from. But yet Jesus, in, like here's a surprise to many people is when people ask him, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. We think, oh, Jesus, he just threw away that law and he just talks about love, not knowing he just quoted from Deuteronomy 5. <laughs> he quoted from the Torah, the Torah there. And then when he says, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We say, oh, that's great. He threw it away again. No, he didn't. That was Leviticus 19.18. He was quoting Torah when he, the Torah talks about love. <laughs> so, uh, and you actually find other rabbis doing much like that. Um, there's a little bit before him. Uh, there's Hillel and there's Shammai. There's a conversation that starts going on. And then there's, I would say, a renaissance. There's a, it's actually a high point that even Jews who do not believe in Jesus are quite interested in the first century because it was a, I think it, don't tell anybody, but I think it was because Jesus influenced a lot of rabbis who uh, didn't necessarily say he was the Messiah, but he influenced how they were talking. And so you hear some incredible wisdom coming from Jewish scholars and Jewish um, rabbis of later centuries. Well. Lois, I love how when you're sharing, there's so much joy in your voice. <laughs> and it seems to, um, for me, and I think for our listeners, like to make it feel like that a deeper understanding is accessible to us. Yeah. Um, so thank you. That is like, so I, well, everything that you're saying is so rich. And also like, just, um, uh, I think when we think about the, just all that you're sharing in these books, it seems like it could be heavy, but there's just so much joy in how you're expressing it. And in the way that you distill things that I think really could lead to better community, deeper relationship yeah. with Jesus, a better example of what Christian community should look like. And so I really have enjoyed this conversation. Cool. Yay. Good. Yeah. I, what I say is um, because, yeah, people say, oh, no, it sounds like I have to study a lot. Oh, no, that sounds hard. I don't like studying. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I said, it's kind of like when you're doing crossword puzzles, or, you know, you've read your Bible and you're like, I don't get that. I don't get that. But you, when you do a crossword puzzle and if somebody helps you with one answer here, all of a sudden a whole bunch more answers will start filling in. And so it, each little thing kind of builds on each other. Oh, little it, like you get a key to unlock a door and they go, oh, look, maybe that, maybe this. And you're curious and you keep studying. And then somebody gives you another little insight and like, oh, it's like a fun mystery that you I've been doing this for 25 years and it's still a fun mystery that I'm only just working on even now. And so, it is yeah. transformational. Yeah. Like the way that it will display itself in our life. And that's so important. Yeah, very much so. Yep. Well, yep. well, shocking that, that God would make uh, the study of his word be delightful and, <laughs> and uh, be joyful 
-hmm. and to have conversations with others about God, to put that conversation right at the center and say, that is the good time, right? Mm -hmm. That is something that uh, is a delight. Well, you've made this conversation uh, just joyful. And I think, as Tina said, you know, you make studying the teachings of Jesus fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't mean that in a trite way. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people um, think that rigorous study has to be this uh, very kind of serious, sober, just academic uh, experience. And uh, and yet, boy, walking closely with Jesus, just the joy of the Lord comes out. So, um, Lois, we, we've got so much more we want to talk about. So we're going to invite you to come back for our next podcast and, and continue uh, our discussion about reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus. So thank you for being with us for this podcast. And uh, I just want to remind our listeners, uh, she has a number of books out. Sitting at the Feet of, of Rabbi Jesus is the most current, but the series includes that and Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, Reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus, and then several other books. You, you can access information about those books and other things that Lois writes, again, at ourrabbijesus.com. And you can purchase those books on Zondervan. We hope that we have uh, whetted your appetite just a little bit to go and purchase these books. Lois didn't ask us to say that. We just want you to go deeper with Jesus and, and be blessed. So, um, so Lois, we're looking forward to having you back on our next podcast. I want to um, mention again, uh, we have a vision to create and support gatherings of unity-minded Christians around the globe. Uh, imagine if you you will these disciples of Jesus modeling his prayer for unity to an incredibly divided world and even divided Christian world. So please join with us in that mission. If you want to financially support this ministry, go to commongroundunity.org front slash donate and or subscribe to the Patreon channel where we offer continued conversations with our guests, the second cup videos, essays, and much, much more. That is it patreon.com front slash common grounds unity. And you can see that in the show notes. So join us next week. We'll be uh, putting out another podcast with Lois. We hope you'll be back with us once again. Thank you for listening to the common grounds unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax-deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless, and remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.